Hey, I'm Kelly McEvers, and this is Embedded. And we just wanted to let you know, we are working on some new stories. And in the meantime, we want to tell you about this new NPR series by two reporters who are part of the Guns and America collaboration. That's this group of public radio reporters across the country who cover guns. And the two reporters who did this new series are Chris Haxel and Lisa Hagen. And their series starts at this rally in Richmond, Virginia. It was last January. You might remember it. It was before the COVID. 20,000 people were there. A lot of them were armed. Some of them were dressed like they were in some kind of militia. And the idea was to support the right to, as they say it, bear arms. And the surprising thing was not just how many people were there. It was a pretty big number of people for this kind of rally. But also that the reason those gun rights supporters were all gathered in this place was not because the NRA told them to be there. The National Rifle Association, the largest pro-gun organization in the United States. The NRA had actually had its own event at the Capitol a week before this big rally. But only a few hundred people came to that. So what we're going to do today is talk to Lisa Hagen and Chris Haxel about their new series. And we're going to start by playing an excerpt from their first episode where Lisa is at this big rally in Richmond and where she meets one of these gun rights supporters. And you'll hear Chris Haxel, too, in just a minute. So it's 630 in the morning. The streets around the state capitol are already slammed. These people are here to rally for gun rights, and a lot of them have brought along the firearms they aim to protect. Like this guy, with an AR-15 and a 60-round drum of ammunition. He's passing out flyers. Oh, look at this. It's a giant flag of a... You want some literature on the flag? Sure, yeah. Thank you. you... Can you tell me about it as well? I'm a reporter. Sure. Yeah, that's... uh... That's the come-and-take-it flag. It's based on the uh, the October 2nd, 1835 flag uh, that was flown in Gonzales, Texas. Uh, We're next to an enormous white flag. Up top, a black star. Then a rifle, a Barrett 50 cal. And at the bottom, a message in all caps reads, Come and take it. Well, I'm impressed with you being able to recite history this early in the morning, to be honest. Well, I can hardly talk. It's so cold. <laughs> I know. What, what's your name? David. David, last name? Tribes. T-R-E-I-B-S. Okay. He's here from Texas. And uh, we came here to stand with the uh, people of Virginia to defend the Second Amendment and uh, to let the governor know when the Constitution says, shall not be infringed, that's what it says. And that's what we're going to defend. You see, this huge gathering is happening in Virginia because Democrats just flipped the state legislature from red to blue. The election was months after a gunman killed 12 people in Virginia Beach. The Democrats campaigned hard on gun control. And they won big, took the state house for the first time in a generation. Right away, the Democrats and Governor Ralph Northam proposed sweeping gun regulations. The governor doesn't care about the Constitution of the United States. He doesn't care about the rights of people. Interpreting the Second Amendment, ambiguous commas and all, is what gun politics is all about. So let's read it. A well-regulated militia, being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, shall not be infringed. And it's that last part that's the real sticking point. Tell me what shall not be infringed means to you. 
that means that the government has no authority to restrict the, the keeping and bearing of arms. I mean, that's what the Second Amendment says. That Whatsoever? Is that is that where you're coming from? Like, yes, are all gun laws unconstitutional? Yeah, I would say that. I would say that. Okay, so it turns out that this isn't just what one guy, David Tribes, thinks. It's what thousands of people at this rally and a lot of people across the country actually think. That there should be no, like none whatsoever, laws governing the use of guns at all. And anything that does is considered a compromise. Which is why those who believe this stuff are part of this movement that some people call no compromise. Because, they say, the NRA has just given in too many times over the years. The NRA has a long history of compromise. And I have to credit them. They, they did a lot to, to, to spread a lot of good pro-gun information. But when it comes to actual action and, you know, like favoring or disfavoring legislation or politicians, they have a long history of compromising. I mean, What does that mean, compromise? In this case. Allowing the Second Amendment to be infringed, the right to keep and bear arms. In other words, any law restricting gun use that has been passed over the last hundred or so years, laws about crossing state lines or laws imposing background checks on people who want to buy guns, any law like that is the NRA's fault. Like, it's a law that the NRA should not have let happen. And here's the thing, this no-compromise idea and the whole movement around it is gaining a lot of influence in the gun rights world. This is what Lisa and Chris are looking into in this series. And they also wanted to know just who these guys are and how they came to believe what they believe. Chris and Lisa are on the line to talk to me about all that now. Hey, you guys. Hey, Hi, Kelly. Going? Okay, so as I said, you both have covered guns in America for years. Um, how did you first hear about the no-compromise movement? I got to speak with a guy who runs a local sort of much more traditional gun rights organization. And, you know, he would he would basically mention every now and then, you know, that there were other groups. And I'd be like, oh, well, tell me about that. Like, do you work together or whatever? And it became pretty clear that they didn't, which was mm-hmm. very curious. It's like, oh, you're not for the same things. So like aren't you guys all friends? Yeah. Right. Aren't you guys on the same team and, you know, it became sort of clearer and clearer to me that they weren't. Like Chris, you made this comparison on Twitter that I thought was really interesting. Like no compromise is to the NRA as the Tea Party is to the Republican Party. Yeah, I, I I think that's just a good way to think about this movement as a whole. I mean, the Tea Party never overtook the Republican Party. It never had a majority of seats in Congress, but it undoubtedly had a massive impact on Congress and, and the Republican Party in particular. And I, I think small, determined groups of people can have a huge impact on a mainstream, much larger group. So inside the no compromise movement, there's this one group that you guys focused on. It's this group of brothers, the Door Brothers, and some of their friends. And they run these state-based gun rights groups. You actually met one of the Door Brothers at that rally in Richmond. Let's listen to that. Excuse me? 
Can I ask who you were broadcasting to? Uh, Missouri Firearms Coalition. Oh, cool. My name's Lisa. I'm with Public Radio in Georgia. How's it going? Good, good. So oh. you're from Missouri? Uh, yeah, we, we work for the Missouri Firearms Coalition. I'm from Iowa, but we're going to work in Iowa and Missouri as well. And we're here on behalf of our members. In this is Aaron Dorr. I ask him about running a state gun rights group. Yeah, we're a lot more aggressive. Uh, we're not, we're not, we don't, we don't care about being liked. We don't care about being loved by politicians. We really don't care at all. You're going to vote the right way. You're going to get uh, kicked out of office. That's the way it works for us. And we're I just want you guys to tell me a little bit about the Door brothers and how do they fit into the no compromise movement? So Aaron, Ben and Chris grew up in a family of 11 children in a very small town in Northwest Iowa. And the ringleader, sort of the oldest one, is Aaron. He started a group called Iowa Gun Owners um, about a decade ago. And as he sort of saw some success, he started bringing in his younger brother, Chris. Eventually, Chris moved over to Minnesota and started his own group. And then after that, they brought in Ben. And now between these three brothers and their two friends, they've got groups in a dozen different states. And what is it that they want? What do they say to their followers? What is their vision? I mean, I think what they say about what their vision is, is a world where you don't have to ask permission, as they would put it, from the government to exercise your Second Amendment right. And what that means practically, and this is to some extent law in about 16 states at this moment, and this is sort of their big policy push, is constitutional carry, which is a very fancily branded name for permitless carry. They don't like the idea that a gun owner's name has to be anywhere on any government list. And that is because they have sort of a vision that there is going to be a roundup at some point of... of ah guns. So in their mind, it's like a registry. Absolutely. In how many states do they have state-based organizations, the Door Brothers, and their affiliates? Twelve? Yep, twelve. Which we can hear in all their Facebook videos. Good morning, folks. Aaron Door here with Iowa Gun Owners. I'm here doing a video right now for Patrick with Georgia Gun Owners. Guys, we're live here on behalf of GGO. Hey guys, Aaron Door here, policy advisor with the Missouri Firearms Coalition. Guys, we have, hey guys, this is Aaron Door here doing a video for Greg Pruitt with the Idaho Second Amendment Alliance. Folks, if you don't ever want this to happen in our beloved state of Ohio, we're from Minnesota, but this applies everywhere. This applies everywhere. One of the things you guys did was talk to people who followed the doors and in particular talked about why someone would want to, say, leave the NRA and follow the Door Brothers instead. And Lisa, you met this woman who was a member of the NRA and then switched in Georgia. Yeah, Carolyn Ricker. So let's hear what she says about the NRA. They got my $105 for a three-year membership, and they're not getting another dime. And I am not contributing to their legal fund, because if they can pay for, if Wayne LaPierre is going to get $20,000 Armani suits from Beverly Hills, they can pay some legal fees. Coming up, why Armani suits, the New York Attorney General, and even a recent mass shooting have made no compromisers like Carolyn move away from the NRA to join the Door Brothers Network instead. This message comes from NPR sponsor ZipRecruiter. Hiring is more challenging than ever. Just ask Monica Starks, owner of GS Group LLC. 
When she got stuck searching for the right hire for a key role, she couldn't just give up. So she posted on ZipRecruiter. Good call. Because five minutes later, she'd found the best candidate yet and hired them the next day. Make your next hire easy with ZipRecruiter. Try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com embedded. E-M-B-E-D-D-E-D. With the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the president is hoping to fill the seat with a conservative judge. And evangelicals who play an important part in American politics have been waiting for this moment. But how did evangelicals become such a powerful force? Listen now to the history of evangelicals on the Throughline podcast from NPR. Okay, we are back with Chris Haxel and Lisa Hagen talking about their new series. And Lisa, just before the break, we heard a woman named Carolyn Ricker say something you guys actually heard a lot from people that you talk to, people who are no longer down with the NRA, um, which was when she talked about Wayne LaPierre, who's the longtime head of the NRA, and something about his expensive Armani suits. And I guess, could you just explain what she's talking about? So the... As far as we know, they were not Armani necessarily. Some internal documents were leaked from the NRA organization about Wayne LaPierre's spending on suits at one particular Beverly Hills menswear boutique. And I think of all of the stories that have come out about malfeasance from the NRA, we've seen that, you know, the suits become kind of the symbol of everything that is wrong with what the NRA is doing. And this is probably just a good time to talk about the fact that the NRA is in some legal trouble, too. And I think this probably also feeds into the no compromise narrative. Do you guys want to talk briefly about um, what's going on with the New York Attorney General? So the National Rifle Association is registered in the state of New York. And The New York Attorney General says that basically it has mismanaged the money that has been donated to the organization to the point that it is irredeemable. And she she is seeking to dissolve the organization. So all this brings us back to Carolyn. And the interesting thing, yes, she brings up Wayne LaPierre and the expensive suits and how she doesn't want to give her money to their legal fund. And now we understand what she means. But actually, the thing that really did it for her was Parkland, the mass shooting at the high school in Florida. So let's listen to another excerpt from your episode. Lisa, you start with this idea that Parkland and all the protests and the outcry that followed actually brought attention to this one policy, red flag laws. The idea that if someone might be about to harm themselves or someone else, there should be a way to take their guns until they're better. To literally give families and give local law enforcement additional tools. That's Mike Pence at the White House in 2018, just after the shooting. But the ability to go to court, obtain an order, and then collect not only the firearms, but any any weapons in the position or of that Or take the firearms first and then go to court, because that's another system. Because a lot of times, by the time you go to court, it takes so long to go to court to get the due process procedures Uh, I like taking the guns early, like in this crazy man's case that just took place in Florida. Take the guns first, due process later. But what President Trump said is a deal breaker in the gun rights world. And around the same time, you've got the NRA's top lobbyist saying this. We need to stop dangerous people before they act. 
so Congress should provide funding for states to adopt risk protection orders. Also known as red flag laws. It felt like a rare moment of possibility for supporters of gun control. And a really jarring time for folks like Carolyn. So she's seeing all this talk about new gun regulation and thinking, what is going on with the NRA? I, I emailed them and I got nothing back. I said, what? tell me about these red flag laws. What are? There was nothing on their site. There was nothing. Um, they just went dark. And I never got a satisfactory answer back. And so when they called for um, a fundraiser to get more money, I said, can you tell me what your stand is on the red flag laws? Well, ma'am, I'm just a, um, a, you know, I'm calling about raising money. I said, well, I'll tell you what, here's the message. And you can give this to Mr. LaPierre. When you are ready to fill my inbox with angry tirades and reasons why we shouldn't have red flag laws, then I will listen and I will be happy to continue to support you. And until that happens, no, don't. I mean, just don't. For Carolyn, she wanted to see, you know, emotion, like emotional, just as forceful sort of retorts from the NRA in that moment. And she wanted to see that and feel it, you know, and feel like she was being fought for in that way. Um, right. And she wasn't getting it. And that's what the Door brothers do for her. But I'm going to start in on these red flag laws. You've probably heard a lot about it, especially after Florida, what happened about two months ago, almost to the day. But you immediately started hearing the gun grabbers and even a lot of the Republican politicians um, for sensible gun laws, guys. But we have to call anti, this anti-gun red flag laws for what it is, gun confiscation orders. Everybody say it, gun confiscation orders, gun confiscation How orders. much have the Door brothers affected policy? Like if I were someone who wanted more gun control, what could you say to me about how there's less gun control because of these guys? I think Georgia is a good example. There was a recent bill that it was bipartisan supported, had a lot of law enforcement support and just sort of had all the ingredients that you need to pass a type of gun control bill. And it was meant to ensure that domestic abusers don't have guns. And I do think the no compromise group was successful in stirring up enough fear about that law, which is already federal law, to be clear, that they stopped the bill, potentially. You know, there's no way to really know who stops a bill. These things are very complicated. But I think what we see is that their real wieldable power may lie more in screwing things up than actually passing bills. Like we've been saying, the the larger no compromise movement is considered to the right of the NRA. And one thing that struck us recently was that we saw a couple of these no compromise groups rally behind Kyle Rittenhouse. Mm -hmm. He is the 17-year-old who was charged with shooting and killing two protesters in Kenosha, Wisconsin. This was during protests after police shot a black man named Jacob Blake. Kyle Rittenhouse's lawyer says he was acting in self-defense when he shot those protesters. But the tie to the no compromise movement is that 
a couple of these groups posted fundraising pages for Kyle Rittenhouse after all this happened. And I'm just wondering, did that surprise you at all? Uh, I would say that it's a little bit like red flag laws or the NRA or whatever is happening in the right wing media cycle is the thing that they're going to tune into. And if it has to do with guns, all the better. And so I think in Kyle Rittenhouse, (sighs) folks in these groups see a young man who has a lot of the same fears that they do. And those fears have been purposely stoked by groups like the ones we're reporting on. I Like, that's the only way I can explain what the rallying mm-hmm. is about. You know, one of the first sort of images that I saw from the doors about Kyle Rittenhouse was, you know what a Gadsden flag is? For folks who don't know, it's that yellow flag with the rattlesnake on it that says, don't, don't tread on me. I mean, there was an image of, of Kyle Rittenhouse instead of the rattlesnake on a big yellow flag um, very soon after like the shooting. Like a meme or like you saw it in person? Yeah, it was, like, it, it was like a meme. So, I mean, he was immediately a hero that you want to put on a flag in, in these circles. Um, did you get a chance to talk to these folks, followers, um, about race, right? And about, like, would you feel exactly the same way about a black person standing their ground constitutionally carrying? I think that if if you were to ask those questions, they would say, yes, of course, we support black people who, you know, need to defend themselves. Um, and any black gun owners who want to be around this type of culture, I think, are, are embraced. Mm-hmm. Social media celebrities. But I would say you have to understand that in contrast with what the dominant messaging is via memes, via video clips that are reposted on these pages. You know, they are primarily sort of referencing anecdotes from around the country of Black men, Black women, Black students, Black children being violent. Um, And that's the media diet that folks in this world feel pretty comfortable with. So, yes, I think they would be philosophically very much for um, the, you know, the Second Amendment applying to everyone equally. But the truth is, in this country, it does not and has not for a very long time. All right, so that's a preview of this new series, a sense of how these folks, the Door Brothers and the No Compromise Movement, are breaking from traditional gun rights organizations and why. In future episodes of their podcast, Chris and Lisa are going to do a lot of digging on these guys. They've got stories about the FBI, tax forms, nonprofit status, and allegations by Republicans against the Door Brothers. Like, what are they doing with the money they get from their members when they say they're doing all this political work to block gun legislation? Are they? And many people hadn't ever met the guy or talked to the guy or had a conversation with him when that passed. And so they were surprised that he was trying to take credit for that. And 
you know, most of us have never seen him or talked to him. So. So how could he be effectively lobbying if he's not here lobbying? Right. 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 But it sure gets the likes on Facebook. So Door came in one day and he shot one web video in one corner, right, of the legislature. But he then changes his shirt, changes his suit jacket, changes his tie, goes to a different corner to film another one. He does this at least three times and then he leaves. Well, we don't see him at the Capitol for probably the you know, next two, three months, but yet his web videos go out and it shows him in these different uh, suits. And it's like, well, I'm at the Capitol here today, you know, March 1st, and I'm at the Capitol here today, April 1st. And no, you're not. You haven't been here since February. So if that is not deception, I don't know what is. It's, it, give me a break, man. You're flat out lying to people and taking their money. Also, Chris and Lisa will come to learn that while it might seem like it's all about the money and the fame for the Door Brothers, it could be about something else. These people genuinely believe that the Christian church will take over the world, okay? They genuinely believe there will be a golden age of righteousness where the law of God will be the law of all the land and that Chris and Lisa are also going to explore the no compromise movement's origins, including its historical interactions with white supremacists. And they'll give us a sense of why these guys could be important in the future. Like if the NRA does go away, would these guys step in and fill the vacuum? The series is called No Compromise. You can find it where you get your podcasts. This episode was produced by Chris Benderev and edited by Lisa Pollock and Nicole Beamster-Boer. The No Compromise series is produced by Graham Smith and edited by Robert Little of NPR's Investigations Unit. Huge thanks to them. Josh Rogeson and Stephen Key are the sound engineers of that series. Their music comes from Peter Duchesne, Brad Honeyman, and the Hump Muscle Rolling Circus. Thanks again to Chris Haxel and Lisa Hagen. Music in this episode was by Blue Dot Sessions. We'll be back with more soon. Thanks. 